0: Jewish Latin Princess, episode 86, Chayamushka Ben Shabbat, founder and CEO of Menachem Mendel Academy. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women. And from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? welcome to jewish latin princess podcast and now jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com your host yael are you frustrated with your children's Jewish education? Have you resigned to not providing them with a Jewish education because you're not impressed with the quality, it's financially inaccessible, or maybe both? My guest today says there are thousands of parents around the world sharing these frustrations, and she, along with her husband, decided not to live in frustration, but to actually do something about it. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Have I got a show for you today? I have Chaya Moshka Ben Shabbat, the founder and CEO of Menachem Mendel Academy. And what a powerhouse of a woman she is. Chaya Mushka is a passionate leader who has brought her background as an entrepreneur and a business coach and marketing expert to revolutionize Jewish education. She says her school, Menachem Mendel Academy, is not a school, but a global movement. But this is not all. In an unexpected twist to this interview, Chaya Mushka shares how she discovered her Jewish roots and the transformative journey that she went through until she embraced her new life. Yes, she was raised as a Christian. Definitely a woman of action and of principles, Chaya Mushka shares with us the current issues with the education system, the mission and value proposition of Menachem Mendel Academy, a day in the life of a student in her school, and more we get to the real challenges of this massive project from real estate funding building not just a school, but building teachers and more. This is a riveting interview, which I think will get you to think about your own Jewish values and how you've embraced them, as well as where does Jewish education fall on your value scale and why perhaps we should all be striving to put it on the priority list. If nothing else, it will get you to start moving forward on something, whatever that may be. Because when you listen to go-getters like Chaya Mushka ben Shabbat, you realize you weren't put into this world to rest on your laurels. Here's Chaya Mushka ben Shabbat. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mushka, Ben Shabbat. Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. What an honor. Thank you. I'm so happy that we got to connect. We have a good friend in common and actually a avid listener of the show. So I'm very grateful for the introduction. Aww, so nice. Yes. And you are a fascinating guest, um, not only because of your newest endeavor, a really bold and brave, An awesome step (laughs) building a Jewish day school, Menachem Mendel Academy, which we're going to talk all about today. But also, I think the path that got you to where you are today, I don't think it was a smooth path. I know you started your adult life as an entrepreneur, very, very dedicated entrepreneur, and you lost a lot in, and, and you, even your, your first marriage, and you rebuilt yourself up. You sort of, you know, you, you build your life again. And and then you are here in a new chapter of your life. So I want you to take us back to this journey and what happened and what you've learned since. Sure, sure. Absolutely. How far would you like me to go back? Well, um, you started this incredible, <laughs> apparently this amazing marketing company. That's your expertise, right? And I heard right. I heard right. or I read somewhere that you even took the bold step of not finishing B school, which I was like, Wow, that's crazy. She
1: did that. That's like an gone Entrepreneur. <laughs> yes, yes, it's very true. Yep. So I, I started off, you know, professionally, like um, I think so many Americans do, which is just full-on hardcore belief that corporate America is the place to be, and it's going to, you know, give you all of those American dreams come true. And I think that lasted with me for a whopping <clears throat> five or six minutes before I was able to realize that that was just not the path. Yes, we, we must I,
0: have been raised in a similar family.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, your your identity is built into how many degrees you have on the wall and making sure that you've got a nice, you know, fancy sounding job title, and then everything else should be good. Why does this all sound <laughs>
0: so familiar? Yes.
1: <laughs> yep, yep.
0: Except I did not quit business school. I actually finished it, even though I was kind yeah. of miserable in there. But yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I did, I, I went um, right out of school. I have my undergraduate degree in business administration and marketing. And then I was working in corporate banking for a global bank while I was getting my uh, master's degree, my MBA. And then I was in the middle of my MBA that I said, "This is crazy. This is ridiculous." Because I started noticing about halfway through the program that all of the women in my program were dropping like flies because they started to realize what the the cost was actually going to be on their life to pursue this path of mm-hmm. sacrificing, you know, the family, the personal goals, you know, just to to fight like a dog, basically. Yep. And and then I had a couple of friends. You know just by divine providence that were starting their own businesses becoming independent contractors or this that and the other and, and I, that was what put the first seed of I guess independence into my world and then as I was watching that path unfold and then really looking at the world around me where I was at the bank and looking at you know my bosses and I definitely wouldn't call them mentors <laughs> I'll just call them bosses oh my you know, gosh I
0: get at them, so really late
1: <laughs> yes you mean you did what, you did
0: tw- not find one woman
1: in the bank that you wanted to be like when you grew up tell me the right. truth and, yes right and I'm thinking oh my gosh okay I spend more time with these people mm-hmm. than they spend with their own families yes. And, yes and nothing about them is happy or encouraging or oh my God. why why would I do this
0: I feel like so, I like, like I'm yeah. speaking through you yes go on <laughs>
1: So so that's when I decided to take the plunge. And I realized, okay, if I'm going to continue this path, and and please know, I have such respect for higher education. So this is not me bashing higher education, you know? But I just realized, okay, I'm going to spend another two years of my life on this path. I'm going to get a degree that it's going to take me about 10 years to pay for. And at the end of it, what's really going to be different? So that's what, I guess, gave me the plunge. And it's not because I was brave and noble and, and impressive. It was, I just, I really, I have a very low tolerance for pain like an ingrown toenail is like the death of me you know like i just can't handle it so i i i really became this path of pursuing that path became more painful to me than the fear of failure with starting something new Mm -hmm. so that was literally what created the the path divergence for me and that's when i you know defected from corporate america and went off to start my own thing and thank god thank god thank god thank god god seriously gave me just you know quick success. And I also, I guess, you know, I had to fail flat on my face. A number of times but again thank god i'm just a quick learner so i fell and got up quickly and fell again and got up quickly and with a few you know scraped knees and elbows along the way i was able to to work it out and so over the course of the next few years i was able to build thank god a fairly successful um business in, in marketing and sales and developing leaders and entrepreneurs and then i went into i started a business of my own doing exactly that of where i became a, a coach and consultant to women entrepreneurs so i spent about 10 or 12 years just working with women in business of all types, you know, and and because what I was working with them on was not the core competency of their business. It was all the things around their business, because I think you and I both know that the way you do anything in life is the way you do everything in life. Yes. So if we are a mess personally and we're trying to run a business, guess what else is going to be a mess? Mm-hmm. Our business. So I worked with them on things like time management emotional management, um, boundaries between work and life or boundaries between them and other people. I think women, we we underestimate how important boundaries are in life. And we want to be generous and caring and loving and giving. But there's a fine line between that and being a doormat, you know, or being a sponge that, you know, you soak up everything around you and sponges, guess what they're full of? Bacteria. Mm-hmm. When you soak up everything, you become gross and full of bacteria. And then when you squeeze the sponge, guess what comes out on everyone around you? Gross bacteria. And that's what happens when we don't have boundaries. So you're basically so, a business yeah.
0: coach before the word coach became, was in. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. So then, thank God, then I, but not on purpose, literally not on purpose. Um, kind of blindsided. Um, I took on a contract working with a company of a, a, a global company and that contract turned into a partnership. And then because that partnership was totally consuming, I started to, um, fade away and kind of fade down my coaching company. And then I took on a full partnership with that company. And then a few, and then that's when I started to go through my divorce and everything started to fall apart. And, um, not because of that business, but just because I really was not following my own advice at that point. Mm-hmm. And I lost sight of what I really wanted. And as my, what I wanted started to evolve and change, the other things around me were not, you know, I, I wasn't allowing that process to flow. So I became basically imprisoned in a glass house that I had built right. for myself. Right. And And of course, only in retrospect, you know now it's been almost 10 years since then. Now I'm able to see that totally different than I could see it back then. And so And at I, this point
0: you don't yeah. have children, right?
1: At that point I had a very I had a mm, yes, he was very young, he's about a year old. Okay. Year or two or two. Yeah, was yeah, right it, it was it was a process kind of from birth right before he was born and it was when the, kind of the whole explosion, the glass house shattered. Wow. And then, until he was about three, four, five. And then, yeah. so now he's ten. Now he's ten since that whole healing process has has started. And, I did. I went through a massive cocooning process. I got uh, which involved religion, right? Years. There was yeah, like a whole did.
0: rediscovery. Yes, take That's us exactly there. Right.
1: Yep. And through that cocooning process, also right during the, the divorce, I found out I, I was born and raised as thinking I was Christian. And okay. right when I was going through the divorce, I found out I was Jewish. By what? Oh, wait, crazy, wait, wait, wait. Crazy, wait. How crazy, is crazy. that possible? How is it possible? Or is it possible? No, how? How, how did that
0: happen that you discovered something? You
1: Didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, so that's a very, very long story, but in a nutshell, um, there are a lot of miracles that are involved. And if I were not a a faith based person, and if I didn't believe in miracles from the sky, like flashes of lightning, it probably would not have even like, I wouldn't have even dug into it more to find out the truth behind all of it. Um, but it did require once I was kind of set off to that process, I started a lot of um, research and digging and like hiring a professional genealogist and blood tests and all of this work to kind of put all the pieces together. Um, but believe it or not, I'll just suffice it to say that I received a, um, a letter from a dead rabbi that basically said I was Jewish and it was my journey and my path to 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 walk this path on behalf of my people and to figure everything out so that was and then i did the genealogy test and the blood test and everything else to to find where all the intersection of my past kind of united and that was not a short process well i can only
0: imagine but one minute you get a letter Mm -hmm. from a person who's (laughs) no longer living who took Mm -hmm. the time to send you this letter so they must have known your mother (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um so where was your mother in the picture? Was she deceased of it? Like oh. No 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 no
1: no. Okay. The the again, that that exactly how that happened is literally the conversation like that's a whole conversation by itself. But to save you from going down that path, I will tell you this, no one in my family that is living today knew what the, the where the rabbit trail led to mm-hmm. was an adoption that was about 10 generations back. In gotcha. My family. Okay. And that adoption on my mother's side is where the the breakdown happened.
0: Happened. Okay.
1: Um, but because through that whole process of the searching and trying to figure out what it all meant, the company that I had become partners with was a, an Israeli-owned company. Hmm,
0: that is and that is through, divine providence in and of that itself. Is
1: divine providence, yes. And so, through my connection to that company, that was the first time I ever actually met a Jew, to my knowledge, <laughs> because I was raised the Bible Belt. You know, I grew up in South Texas, and I was raised where Southeast Texas. I was raised where you know you have immense respect for Jewish people, and you know you you believe in the the story in the Bible from the Jewish people that. They're God's chosen people, et cetera, et cetera. But I was raised with the belief system that, quite honestly, Jews are they're they're like dinosaurs, like they're archaic, like they once were around. They're and extinct. Now they're not, you know, <laughs> and that's it. And I I remember it's funny. You know, it's those things that happen in your life that like shift your 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 mindset. I remember I was fresh out of college, working at J.P. Morgan. I was on a trip. Oh my gosh, we we had like uh, how old? Are, um, whatever, we'll talk offline. <laughs> so <Yeah>. did I. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I was working at JP Morgan, I was in Manhattan for one of my 9 million trips to Manhattan and back, and I remember walking down the street on one of my first trips there, and I saw this, I was in a taxi, I think, and the guy, the person with me, like, I look over at the corner, and I see this guy in the corner in a black suit and these long, curly sidebursts, like, what is that? (laughs) And someone goes... (laughs) That's a Jew. That's a Jew. Like, oh, that was my first knowledge that actually Jews walk the street on the world today. Isn't that crazy? Mm, that this is, is a crazy. bubble I lived in my entire life. Right. So, so you're working yeah. for this Israeli
0: company. You're trying to unravel this thing and you discover that you are a
1: Jewish woman. And now what do you do with this information? Very good question. So with my exposure to this Jewish family, you will not believe so the the parents that don't own the company it was the, it was the brothers of this family that owned the company. The parents had been the parents, uh, when the brothers came over one by one from Israel, the oldest brother came over first, started a business for himself, and then started bringing all of his siblings over with. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when he brought them over, then he had a long talk with his parents. And again, I'm giving you such a nutshell version of this, but basically they all agreed to come over together from Israel to the U.S. to keep the family together. So the parents sold everything that they had, came over, and just agreed to basically support the family, where the dad worked in the business with the, to support his sons, and the mom cooked meals for all of the Israelis they were bringing over one by one to work in the company. And the only rule they had, the parents by this time had become religious, but none of the kids did. The kids all thought it was like, you know, they were too cool for it, whatever. And the, the, the parents had only one rule. They said, we will come and keep the family together and support everyone. The boys were all in their early 20s at the time. They said on one condition, you put uh, actually two con- conditions, sorry. You put fill in every day mm-hmm. and you you must come for Friday night dinner, for Shabbat dinner. Okay. And I said, okay, fine. That's easy enough to fill in, takes two minutes and Friday night, fine. We'll come for dinner. It's a free meal. Right. So the, the boy, but they turned it into this Friday night. It became like a... a a family party slash extended business meeting. Yeah. So, that, of course, they, they drove to dinner and back. They were on their phones. The mom lit candles. The dad said, kiddish. But beyond that, everything was a free for all. But so you a-
0: you started going with them.
1: So I was required as being a part of the business to now go to Friday night dinner.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So that was my first exposure to Jewish tradition. And through the conversations, you know, farting, you know, everything is on, on is table topics. Yeah. There's nothing that is inappropriate to be said at the table where I'm so mortified and embarrassed of some of the things they're talking about you know, sex, drug, and rock and roll that I I wanted to hide under a table, you know, but they just, they, they just talk about everything. Mm -hmm. So, so after a number of these conversations, I start to, you know, warm up to the concept of listening to Jewish tradition. And I start to just, we start to have conversations about what's the difference between Judaism and Christianity? How does it work? What's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was what was the very, very tip of the iceberg for me of looking into my. My roots and understanding the differences between Jewish history and the roots of Christianity for me to understand, regardless of this um, awareness that I had found that I was actually Jewish by birth. So what? I didn't have to do anything about it. Right. You You do not have to embrace it. My mom says, yeah, my mom says, that's cool. But why can't you be Jews for Jesus? (laughs) You know, so... There's a big club out there called this, you know? Mm -hmm. So I had to look into what did it mean to me? So that was really the most transformative process, not just that I was a Jew by blood somewhere along the line, but what did I care about it? And what was I going to do with my life now that I had this new piece of information?
0: Right. So you are, so 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 how to, so at what point do you make the choice and decide, well, I am going to get educated about it and I am going to start taking on observances in my life. I mind you, I want to stress for listeners is that this is happening at a time in your life where you're a young mother, you're supporting yourself and your child, so it's kind of like a lot, Chaya Mushka.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a lot, and on top of that, my my business that you know the 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 coaching and consulting company that I ran was overwhelmingly Christian audience, like twelve to fifteen thousand women that were ninety nine point two percent Christian. Uh huh. So if I started shifting. <laughs> my concepts and my belief system, it also would mean my income would be Heavily, heavily hit. So why because did at you that do? time I hadn't shut down my company yet. So, right. so so I started so so the way it started was I had a conversation with the youngest brother of my business partners. The youngest brother was not a partner in the business. He was still um actually he still lived in Israel at the time. Mm-hmm. He was a baby. He was like 18 or 19. He was in uh he was in not even Chicola yet. He didn't even have his like he was learning to become a rabbi. Mm-hmm. He was the only one in the whole family that was room from birth. Okay. Because by the time he was born, the parents had already done tshuva, and so they were already observant at the time he was born into a religious family. And as you know, because his brothers weren't, his brothers were already right. old and grown by that point. And so he decided he wanted to really be connected to to Yiddishkeit. And so he stayed when they all came to um, to the U.S. He said, "No, I want to stay here," and he stayed in yeshiva in Israel
0: okay so what does he tell you
1: so we were at a shabbat dinner one night when he was in town visiting his family and we started talking about the differences between judaism and christianity and he said a couple of things that were massive massive like deal breakers for me like mind benders of things that i just thought were so true based on how i grew up and then he was like uh no Mm -hmm. (laughs) and here's the reality and i and i didn't believe it he said okay cool he said i'll tell you what I got to go back, you know, I'm going back. I'm not staying long, but here's a website you can go start. uh, You can check into it, look into it and see what you want. And and so I started digging and I asked for more information. He said, I can't really help you so much. I'm overseas again now, but and he was at a Chabad yeshiva, mm-hmm. so he mm-hmm. said, "I will tell you what," he said, "I'll send you a website. You can check it out and see what you want." So he sent me to this website called Chabad.org.
0: <laughs> so you devour all the entire Chabad.org.
1: So <laughs> I became a Chabad.org junkie. junkie. <laughs> Aren't yeah, we all? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that there's my uh, that's my commercial for Chabad. Mm-hmm. So I became a Chabad.org junkie and literally devoured, devoured, devoured. And the more I learned, and I began I had this prayer, one prayer every day. As it God, I do not know what's happening in my life right now. Things are so up, down, from sideways. I, I don't even know who I am, what to do, what you want. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so <laughs> at a crossroad. So, but if you, if you will just find a way, if you will just show me the truth, I promise you, God, I will find a way to live it. I cannot mm. live a life that isn't true. So you show me the truth in an unequivocal way, and I promise you, I will. Even if it means turning upside down, my family, you know, giving away my income, walking away, figuring out what to do with my son, I will figure it out. If you will just show me what's the truth. And that prayer was every day for probably six months. And that's when I'm going through org. I'm going through my divorce. I'm trying to figure out which professional path I want to take trying to keep my son who was three years old at the time, you know, stable and, and happy and secure. And like my whole life was in this was the massive, very, very painful cocooning process. Right. Um, And, and then that is what led me to the the really digging into, you know, what it means to be a real Jew, because from that, for me at that point, see, I'm, I'm an extremist. I'm I'm sure you can tell if I'm going to do it, it's all or nothing. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to, so I didn't need to be a casual Jew. You know, I didn't. So Mad because I was, yeah. So if I was going to do it, it meant a, a total embracing of what it meant to live as a Jew. Call so a so that was a massive, massive transformation. And once I made the decision to do it, actually, everything was easier. It was deciding mm. that was so tough. What a lesson, because it's, it's
0: almost what I'm sure you've told your clients many, many years, how it all starts with our mindset, right? So here right. is proof in your own That's life, right. how you see that once you made that decision, everything started falling into place, right? That's hmm. So you yep. start embracing Yiddish guide, you become religious, you become observant, what happens next? Do you give up the
1: coaching business? What, what, what happens with your professional life? Yes. So I at that point was just starting to work with the other the other company. So I moved out of Texas over to Arizona to be a full partner with this other company. Okay, and it just really hashem gave that to me as a gift because not only was he saying literally. He's, he walked me through the desert, hmm. you know, like the Jews had walked through yeah. the desert and I was going on this synonymous path and I was, I was walking through the desert of Arizona before I could find my Gula, before I could find my promised land. Mm-hmm. And he gave me like these little carrots to follow, he, like connecting me with the Israeli company, with the, with the Jews, with the, um, and then he, by working for the company, it gave me enough of a boost to, um, be able to slowly phase out my coaching business without being so so afraid. Mm -hmm. So what I really did is I I had to go through this cocooning process where I just completely shut off to the outside world for a couple of years. Hmm. Like just when I went through when I went through my divorce, and then I went through the process of really connecting to my Yiddish And I also went through a formal conversion to make sure that there would be no questions anywhere along the line about, you know, because for, for like my son, my, you know, sure. children future wanting to get into schools or marriage mm-hmm. or whatever. And they, you know, you always want to check. Yeah. And so my mother in law, now I'm remarried to um, a Jewish family. And my, my mother in law says, you know, she laughs, about it, and she said, well, at least, you know, for sure you're Jewish. She goes, I. Maybe there was a mistake. Like, you know, it's just a joke. She says, you know, for sure. Now you have a piece of paper to prove it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but when I was going through that process, um, I completely shut down everyone in my life. Like you mean my, your like,
0: friendships?
1: Friendships, contacts, Facebook, social media, co- you know, colleagues, everyone. Like, it's like I literally fled to the desert. I left Mitzrayim. You know, what is was Mitz, You know, Egypt, of course, in, in Hebrew is Mitzrayim. Mm-hmm. And what the, the root of this word means, it means a small space. Mm-hmm. small mindedness. So for me, I had to run from this, this, this prison of my mind I had lived in for so long. And I had to literally cut off everything because it was too painful for me to try to live in both worlds. Right. And now several years later, I've, I finally had the courage and the confidence in who I am. Now I had to get comfortable in my own skin yeah. all over again. Right. And right, so right. now that I've had, you know, time to heal that and to learn who I am again, I've been able to go back and start reestablishing and rebuilding some of those bridges. It was... and I, I, I by the way, I should say my father is a, is a Christian pastor and still mm. is to this day. Wow. So so that was not an easy journey, not for my family, not for my friends, not you know, not professionally. Um, so I completely shut everything down and started building my life again from scratch as a Jew.
0: What an incredible story. So but you're working for this company, and this gives you the financial runway that you need to keep going. At what point do you get interested in education? And I'm assuming that they're, they're going to get into the impetus for this new endeavor the Menachem Mendel Academy
1: so the education was never something that was on my life mission or on my bucket list you know never ever ever it was simply a um me wanting to find good education for our children that's where it started so after we after I got remarried we lived in I got married in Arizona to one of my business partners long story oh my gosh so your husband
0: now used to work in the business too so yep so we used to work together he when I'm met
1: him, I didn't know I was a Jew and he wasn't religious. Like he oh, okay. was in, you know gotcha. he, and so we kind of went on this journey together. Gotcha, okay. And and so then when and he had a daughter from his first marriage, I had a son. She had been raised in Jewish education and he, we saw that it was not something that we were pleased with. Okay. So the, the education that she received. And so then we moved to New York for a year to really dig into our um, learning. Mm-hmm. And when we moved to New York, we put him in a school there, my son, who mm-hmm. was five by then Mm -hmm. then um by turning six just turning six and then we moved to australia for three years on business Mm -hmm. and we spent about five years traveling the world like literally everywhere we we spent a good amount of time in in europe in eastern europe in um in Asia, Korea, um, Australia, everywhere we went, uh, Southern Pacific, we were finding Jews, finding Jewish education, looking for um, a strong place to put our, our son. And he was traveling with us all this time. And the only reason that we were willing to continue traveling is because nowhere that we went, did we find education that we felt was to the level of excellence that we wanted for our children, hmm. where they had strong Yiddishkeit and strong academics and the children Children weren't just forced to be soldiers sitting in a line at desks, desk, you know, like little statues all day for seven, eight hours. And everywhere we went, not only did we find that it, that it was not to our standard, but we also found frustrated parents everywhere that we went. So, you know, everything is Hashgah Protest. Everything is divine providence. So I can, I can see it looking back now at frustration with Jewish education is a global frustration. It's not limited to just one pocket of the world where most of us think. Mm-hmm. And so, so that whole process really opened my eyes to a much bigger picture. And so then we decided um, we were at we lived in Australia for three years. And um, we when we came back to the US and decided we were going to plant roots here because now my son was to the age he was nine and he was to the age where he needed stability and we had to find a place that he was going to plant his roots and we were all going to live out the rest of his education and we tried our best to be consumers just to find a school that we could support and help and we just realized that it was like trying to you know convince a tree into thinking it's a fish or convincing a fish that it's a giraffe Mm -hmm. and they just all the talking in the world isn't going to work and I, I think just from our background in business you know running global businesses, we just realized, okay, if it doesn't exist, you have few options. You can to suck it up and deal with it. You can pray that someone's going to come along and produce something that you want in the right amount of time, mm-hmm. or you can go create it yourself. Right. Those are your three options. And I knew if I wait, I, I, sucking it up and dealing with it, it was not an option. Praying and waiting for someone to do it. Okay, maybe I could do that. But if I waited much longer, my 10-year-old was going to be so inculcated into the existing education, it'll be too late. I would have missed the opportunity. And so we thought long and hard about, are we going to do something just for him? Are we going to be consumers and just maybe hire him a malameter or a tutor or private or something, homeschool him, find some social groups for him? You know, That was the cheaper, easier route. Mm -hmm. But because we are big believers in divine providence, and we have a big belief that God gives you every challenge and circumstance so that you can transform it into healing for the world. And so we knew if we were going to really embrace this, it meant revolutionizing jewish education and again because we believe go big or go home that's just mm-hmm. how we live our life mm-hmm. said, all right if we're gonna do this we're gonna do it right and it's going to take an army so that we we spent some serious time in retrospection say it's an, an introspection saying are we really ready to take on this battle mm-hmm. <laughs> And at the end of the day, Baruch Hashem, we said yes. You know, we feel it's like it's like um, you know Mordechai and Esther in the story of Purim. You know, Mordechai told Esther when she came to him with the problem. He said, "Look, the Jewish people are going to be saved no matter or what." Or another. <laughs> that's right. The question is, if you want the merit of being a part of the salvation,
0: R- correct? Right, right. So that's right.
1: where we are. Yeah. So.
0: Incredible story. So you and your husband decide you're doing this. Did you have to before we get to what the school is about? Did you have to Mm -hmm. go get partners and fundraising fundraise or your husband and yourself had enough of a financial runway to take this on your own? Because this doesn't happen on the cheap. This is a
1: huge endeavor. Right, right. It is a huge endeavor, and um, I would say I- I'll tell you this: I'll say both and neither. And the reason I'll tell you that we we had we were willing and able to give the school the seed money it needed to get started. Got it. Got and it. And so it. we thought we would we would help it get up and running, get everything going in the beginning. But then we it wouldn't last. We knew we would have to have investors and donors, right, to be able to help us from that point forward. And the the interesting thing is that that basically where we're holding now is so now we're working with we're trying to find the donors who believe in the mission and believe in the vision and the really funny thing is you know uh, of course Hashem has a fantastic sense of humor and so everything that you know we've been learning and realizing and and seeing here is just so much bigger than we are but even we we have a a couple of people that that agreed to come and help us fundraise and they're coming back to me and they say "Um, okay well I'm going to donors and people are saying well why would I give my money to a charity that that isn't established and it's not proven yet. And it's, it's so funny, I actually came across a a quote from Jeff Bezos the other day, of course, the founder of Amazon, right. And you know, they have 14 different headquarters in the country of India alone, there's so much growth and and innovation happening with Amazon, they're literally taking over the world. It's unbelievable. But he said, he said one day, he said, if you do not want to be criticized, for God's sake, don't do anything new.
0: Exactly. Just stay home, stay on the couch. So
1: exactly. Exactly. So when I, I, this, this fundraiser came back to me and I, I said, are you actually saying this to me? Are you actually giving me this complaint? You're giving me this resistance. Once you are proven, once everything is established, I don't need your help fundraising. Right. You know, maybe Maybe, it's, I,
0: <laughs> maybe it's time to get is- another fundraiser. <laughs> Yeah, hello. I
1: like, what we need is someone who is willing to innovate there are plenty of people out there that are visionaries that can tap into this vision and see what we're doing that's who I need you to find me right <laughs> so, these are the types of conversations I'm having on a daily basis right now Chaya Mushka, yeah. you do your own f-
0: fundraising you're great right. right at it <laughs> as I always say nobody's going to care more about your money than yourself so <laughs> let's right. go that's at right. it so, right. so so, what's different what is the mission of Menachem Mendel? Academy and the value proposition of this new school?
1: Mm, Such a great question. We are really on a mission to revolutionize Jewish education and to establish a reality where Jewish education is the benchmark for the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, What does that mean? Right now, the vast majority of Jewish people, Well, there's a few things happening right now. We have over a million students, Jewish children who are in public education right now because the parents either, number one, don't see a need or a care for jewish education number two they they feel like the jewish education is so much of a lower quality then they're they're not willing to sacrifice so what we are trying to create is a standard where the jewish education is so strong where it's rooted in jewish values in torah but the academics are world-class and the children are actually groomed to thrive in today's modern day world okay so there are a few pieces that of this puzzle that are unique that don't exist anywhere else okay first of all most education jewish or not is still a 200 year old solution where you're sitting in desk lined up in a row all day every day and expected to just say yes ma'am no ma'am and not think outside the box we do not teach today's children to think outside the box but yet what's funny is as soon as you get into a professional situation yes. you are expected to be good at yes. thinking outside the box, how yep, does it work? It's so
0: frustrating. Yes, a hundred percent.
1: You know, t- most of today's elementary school children—they're saying that by the time they are sixteen years old, they will not need a driver's license because it will be standard that all cars will drive on their own. Mm-hmm. How d- how are we preparing children? You know, you've got ten years. T- 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 ten-year-olds are coding these days. Mm-hmm. Okay, preschoolers, of course, know how to operate smartphones, and you've got high schoolers that are already establishing their global brand. You know, before they're even in eleventh, twelfth grade. Like, like, we have to rethink education for today's generation and the interesting thing this is so crazy do you know where the Do you know who is the father of education modern day education this is not something that they teach let me just share this with you this was a mind bender for me tell me the, the, the way modern day education was created was from a guy in Poland after they had lost to Napoleon and so he started building educational systems in his actual words were that when they are finished with the education, the pupils should have no thought that wasn't given to them by the teacher. It was literally designed to stamp out and stomp out independent thinking.
0: Right. To make you into a factory worker.
1: (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. And that's what they needed back then. That's not what we need today. So trying to first of all, upgrade education, make sure it's built on Jewish values, and then allow a kid to be a kid. Okay, yes, they need to know technology. Yes, they need to program. Yes, they have to have typing yes they need to have and they we want them to have all of these things today they have to have graphic design they have to have animation they have to know how to make a movie like kids have to know like all things to all people these days but then and where do they still get to be a kid? In the middle of all that. Right. So if, you know, if we can create a blend of high tech meets high touch and where they can still have fun and they, they learn to love life and you can have a, a holistic perspective of wellness for your children, not just are they getting good grades, but how are they doing emotionally? How are they doing socially? How are they doing nutritionally, physically? All of that package. It's almost like if I'm going to look at when the kid turns 18 and that graduate is my end product, how can I reverse engineer their education so that they are groomed to thrive in today's world. And that's what we have to do together as an army of people, because it's not just one or a hundred or a thousand, but it's going to take an army to revolutionize what has become so deeply ingrained into our programming over the last few hundred years.
0: Hey, ladies. If you are enjoying this podcast, you might also enjoy The Francisca Show. You might remember Francisca from this podcast, Jewish Latin Princess, where she was my guest on episode 39. On her show, Francisca, an observant Jewish recording artist, composer, and producer interviews Jewish women in the world of art and entertainment. They talk about opportunities, issues, and their journey as artists in the Jewish community, as well as other hot topics in Jewish life. You can find The Francisca Show wherever you're listening to the this podcast right now. You mentioned the obstacles that people usually have, and you didn't mention one that I think I read somewhere where you alluded to it, um, and I've heard it before. Excuse me. (coughs) And that is people's complaint that it is just too expensive. And that might have to do with, you know, it's the price doesn't warrant the result. Maybe that that might be that might be what people are saying. I don't know. Talk to me about that a little bit, because I, I read somewhere where you mentioned how today we have so much abundance as a nation, but we still have that scarcity mentality and people are not investing in their children's education. Um, and a lot of people are stuck in that conundrum where you know tuition, tuition is extremely high, but maybe they're not even feeling that the investment is
1: worth it. That's right, that's right. That's why you have a situation today where a lot of people are more concerned about, you know, paying for a nice car payment instead of a, a child's education. Right. And I don't blame them. I don't actually fault them because they don't yet understand the need or the desire for investing in education. I get it. I, I really do. Hmm. Well, you're very um, kind. <laughs> but but and and, you, and on the flip side, you have some people that they can hardly put bread on the table. How can they pay for private school? You know, so I, I get it. Our goal, our mission is, is to create affordable education for every child. Right. But it doesn't come easily. Edu- good education is not cheap. I'll give you an example. Right now, the cost, I'm not talking about the price. I'm talking about the cost of education for our school right now is $27,000 per year per kid, my cost. Wow. Who can pay that? Who's willing to pay that for education? That's about a That's, that's higher education tuition. Right. That's That's what we used to pay for a year of
0: college. Right. Right,
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So we are working to obviously, um, we, we, we can't charge that. We know we can't charge that. So we have to find a way to, um, supplement that cost. And we have to find a way to find donors to help us with this and with government grants and this, that, and the other. So it's no easy feat to do that. Um, but, my my belief and what drives me every day is that that is Gula. In the ultimate redemption, that is what we are going to have, As we are going to have ultimate education. There will be no shortcuts. There will be no scarcity. There will be no the, no lack. And right now, it's our job to bring that. It's our job to create that. So what we're working to do right now is to find donors and investors in the meantime that are helping us to um create these solutions uh, while we are putting this this global network in place, because that's the one piece that we haven't talked about is that right now we have our pilot school running in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. But our vision is to create a global network of amazing world class education that's affordable in every neighborhood. So if you think about it, like Bill Gates, Bill Gates didn't invent the computer, but he had a dream of putting a computer in every home. Right. We're not inventing education. We want to transform education and put amazing world class education in every person's neighborhood of of every community. Yeah, so that's our vision. That's where we're we're headed. So I want to dig
0: into a day in the life of a student in Mendel Academy, because you've mentioned mm-hmm. a number of pretty non-traditional things that happen there. So walk us through a typical yep. day inside your sure. doors.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So our day is long. Our day is from 830 to 4. Mm-hmm. And we do that because we believe that at the end of the day, children need to be children. So we cram everything in until four o'clock. And then we send them home with no homework. So from at four o'clock, they are, they are children. That's it. Nothing else. Okay. So they come in at eight 30. And by the way, there are numerous, numerous reports that show that homework is actually detrimental. Yeah. That they, I've read children those. have to have time to turn their brain off and just be little children and play and through play and creative imagination and things like that. That's where they're actually growing. Okay. Not um, to mention
0: that it's just it, a strain on
1: the parents. <laughs> Because let's, let's be honest, who's doing the homework at the end of the day? Really? <laughs> so, yeah. So at 8.30, they start with us. We start off every day with a team-building morning activity where they bond. And, and we, we really focus a lot on octus, on, on unity, on brotherhood and, and sisterhood and being connected together. And... Um, right now, our first school, our, our pilot school is a boys school. We're adding the girls school next year, Please, God, so mm-hmm. we're about to open enrollment for that. so we're we're just getting going. But right now, they're starting, um, they do a team building leadership activity in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then they go into then they do a little bit of personal development and Hasidus and then they go into their davening. And, and this then, is by class?
0: Forward, is this by class or some of this is together everybody different grades together? Some of
1: it's, some of it's together the morning activity is together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have even in class, we have multi age classrooms, because okay. we're, we're big, big believers of learning life skills, you know, and by the time when you finish, you, you turn 18, you finish high school, where do you go anywhere in life that you only talk to other people <laughs> that are in your grade?
0: Gosh, I never thought oh, of that. But it's so true.
1: <laughs> right? I'm gonna go to the bank. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not 40. I can't talk to you. You know, <laughs> it doesn't work that way in the real world. So, oh, so funny. then, um, yeah. So once they finish the morning activity and, and, and they're, they're davening, then they break into their learning, but we have a complete integration of, of Torah and academics. So everything is weaved through a a Jewish or a, a, a Torah concept. So for example, you know, like during, um, if they're doing gardening, okay, let's say they're going outside working in the garden while they're in the garden, they're doing math, science, and Parsha all at the same time, because the way that we've weaved the curriculum together, okay, or when they're doing like when they're learning, when they're doing typing skills, okay, what are they typing? Well, they're typing Devar Torah. So they're learning the skills that they need every single day. But they're doing it through a, a again Jewish values, okay. Um, but then they have a lot of recess. They they have three different recesses a day. They get time to run and play and work things out. And we have like mind um, stimulating games that are happening through recess and activities. Um, and then they did they they're still doing all the same the same you know math science English language literature art. We do a lot of um, they they learn um, music. Um, sports. So there are all of the activities that you would imagine would be in a, a, a higher institution of learning. And what we just, we, we, we breed all of them and we filter all of them through a funnel of learning is fun. If they love coming to school and they love being a part of this family, and this organization and this team, then that is going to build within them a love of learning for the Mm -hmm. rest of their life. So that's really what we're trying to build and develop into their character. And then we also do a lot of, um, we take a field trip every Friday. We do a, we do a Chesed project or a Mitzayim. So they, they go out and every Friday afternoon, they spend time in the community learning to give back and not just to be consumers. So whether they're, um, help you know they're t- they're helping pass out shabbat candles or whether they're helping clean up a shul or whether they're cleaning up a park or you know working at the humane society are doing things to where they're really being um developed into a, a mindset of always looking of to give back to other people mm-hmm.
0: that's amazing that is so amazing um how many boys do you have enrolled this year your first year
1: we Right now, we have 13 boys. Nice. And Beautiful. We, we said we said we were, um, we opened for a capacity. We had planned to open it to 20 for the first year. And then once we started enrollment and got to where we are right now with the 13 boys, we saw that it was such a good energy with this group that we closed enrollment earlier than what we had planned. We closed enrollment. Um, we actually let the last two in after we'd already closed it. And we said we would rather start small and really build a rock solid foundation Mm -hmm. before we're growing too fast and having too many before we can really. Um, you know, uh, manage quality control and and create the excellent environment that we want. So we we with the waiting list and the registration list that we have for next year, once we open the girls uh, will probably be somewhere between 30 and 50 for next year.
0: Will you be using the same campus for the boys and the girls? Or does that mean that you're going to have to find another facility?
1: So we're not 100% sold on our facility for next year yet. We're still Mm -hmm. up in the air on that. The boys and girls would be, we, we could do it either two ways. We could either um, separate them in some sort of way on the same campus, mm-hmm. or we could put a, a separate campus just depending. We still have to work all that out based on uh, the physical. We have some some physical parameters that we're trying to work through right now. Because what we also do, you know, having a lot of green space, uh, going green is one of our core values as well, and really working to, you know, preserve the of the resources that Hashem has given us, so we and we know how how healthy it is for children to ground themselves. So we spend a lot of time outside, mm-hmm. and so we have to have a lot of grass, a lot of gardening, a lot of yard space, and so it really we we have very unique set of um, criteria that we're we're working for, and so with each community that we're um, focusing on, we the. Real estate is an actual challenge, but we are not making sure that sure. we're creating the right physical environment for, for each school.
0: For sure. Another challenge that I would love for you to yeah. address is how do you train, how do you find and then train your teachers who perhaps have been, I mean, I would assume most of them have been trained in a completely different mindset, just the traditional way educators have been mm-hmm. trained for mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. Um, into your new way of working with students to embra- and to embrace your method wholeheartedly and effectively I mean even in a even teachers who are able to teach multi-level that's already a stretch in a regular school so here not only are we talking multi-level but we're talking
1: a lot more how do you do it that's right that's right it's not easy and it was it has probably been one of our biggest challenges to date is understanding and learning that this type of a system when you're changing something from the ground level up, you're also having to change the, the, the mindset of the teachers and right. the educators. Now, there are a lot of people around the world that believe in this concept and have this sort of, you know, innovative approach to education, but they're not all in one city. Yeah. <laughs> and so what and, and, and when even if we wanted to do a massive recruiting campaign and bring all of these like minded thinkers to our pilot school, that's fantastic. But if I want to make this duplicatable across the world, I have to make this type of thinking duplicatable, which means that I'm actually having to build a training program from scratch. So instead of having to recruit teachers, what we're realizing is that we have to build them. Mm -hmm. And so we're creating an entirely comprehensive training system for the teachers from start to finish. And it's interesting, because we're having to live that training system right now, we're having to go through the, it's basically like every kink, You're like, eh, got to put a training program for that. Mm-hmm. So every little piece we're having to live through it. And those lessons and experiences that we're having right now in the pilot school are what is becoming the training program for all of the other future expansion schools, please God,
0: you know, it's so interesting to see how your life is come. So many things are coming full circle, because your experience as a coach and training so many women, it's now translating into this. So wow, Um, let's wrap it up with a a little game that I do with all my guests. It's called JLP fill in the blanks. I'm going to give you a few um, sentences, open ended sentences, and you'll just fill them out, finish them with, with the first first thing that comes to mind, okay?
1: Okay. okay. Here we go. I'm Chaya
0: Moshka Ben Shabbat and I feel most spiritual when?
1: I feel most spiritual when I do what?
0: That's what you're gonna tell me.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. I feel most spiritual win in the morning before anyone wakes up and it's quiet in the world. Mm,
0: Yeah, I love that time. I'm a morning person. (laughs) I love waking up before everybody else in my household. My
1: my favorite
0: mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is?
1: oh, My favorite mitzvah for sure would be hosting guests.
0: Oh, very nice. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is ooh.
1: All mine are new. Mine don't date back very, very long. But my fondest Jewish memory would definitely be watching my son when he gets to burn the chametz right before Pesach, hmm. and his, the look on his face is just joy.
0: Yeah, it is a beautiful sight. I, I, I could see that. I, I also yeah. appreciate the look in my yeah. kid's eyes when that, all, that whole thing yeah. is happening outside. Yeah. Something, yeah, yeah. something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is... The truth,
1: that it exists, <laughs> that it really is the emits that runs the world.
0: <laughs> it's not just something on, on, on in books. <laughs> it's not something that's extinct. Right, that's right. When I give that's tzedakah... Right. When I give tzedakah charity, I like to give to?
1: I like to give to anyone who asks. That's our role.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. Finally, I'm Chaya Mushka Ben Shabbat. And today I'm most grateful for? My past. Wow. Good for you. That is some answer, especially coming oh, from question. you, who, who, who took this oh, incredible path. Hayamushka, where can we find you? If anybody out there wants to join this global movement and um, accompany the Ben Shabbat in this endeavor, where can we
1: find you? You can find us online. You can find us on MMAfamily.org. And you can also find us on Facebook, Menachem Mendel Academy, or you can connect with me just personally on Facebook. I would love to travel this journey with you. Hayamushka Ben Shabbat we're open we have nothing to hide everything to share and we we really do believe that it's it's an an army of us coming together but we we really believe that if you build the army one-on-one like a family anything is possible
0: beautiful kola kavod to you and to your husband much much at and listen I'm sure we're going to see a lot of great things coming from you and from this amazing project. Thank you for taking it Thank on. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen and share. I really, I really appreciate it. And Kola Govodin has locked up to your mission as well.
0: Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks to Chaya Moshka for stopping by. You can find Chaya Mushka at mmfamily.org and menachamendelacademy.com. And of course, she's on Facebook at Chaya Mushka Ben Shabbat. All of this and more back on jewishlatinprincess.com. I hope you're having a good beginning to February, second month already of the year, 2019. And actually, more important than that, we're having Rosh Chodesh this week. The new month of Adar, which is one of my favorite months, is upon us. And this year, we're so lucky. We get two. So don't start digging for those how on recipes just yet because we have an extra month of Adar before we start getting ready for Purim. Although my children are already getting full on in the Purim mode. What a great life, I tell you. I hope you have a great week and I'll catch you here next time. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love.